Good morning, my name is Nick. I get to serve here at Sojourn as one of the pastors, and we're just so thankful to have you gathering with us today, worshiping with us today, and um, Franklin, we're just thankful for you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Thankful for the reminder that the gospel is big, and that what the Lord is doing around the world is big. And we get a small glimpse of that this morning in our small little church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. But in the same breath, we're reminded that God is working in ways that we do not see. He's working in parts of the world that we do not see. And we're just thankful for the work that the Lord is doing. Practice love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Except when you are wronged, annoyed, and... Maybe you need to get your way quickly. How about this? Speak harshly to one another. Lie when things are hard so that you can take the easy way out. Publicly confront one another. This sounds a little silly, doesn't it? Most of you would agree that the public form of social media exhibits this type of speech. Or maybe... Just maybe someone came to mind to you as I said those things. Maybe someone has spoken poorly to you. But what about you? Does it hit home at all? It does for me. I remember early in my um, marriage, I was a young man, still a pretty young man. Mark, I'm half your age. Kind of. Last year I was perfectly Mark's half of his age. We joke all the time within the elder team. Just a little fun. But as a young professional, I remember I was trying to impress one of my supervisors. Isaac, I was trying to gain some sort of um, affirmation from an older gentleman. And this, this supervisor used to call me his bulldog. And I loved that title. You see, he loved that I was a problem solver, which being a problem solver is a good gift. It is something that is a good skill. And I love to be able to get things done, maybe quicker than others. However, I was willing to get the job done no matter what. Most of the time, it was at the expense of others, dehumanizing someone, treating someone as if they're not image bearers and created in the image of God. And I remember one time I was on the phone and I was handling a situation. I handled a lot of operations. It was one of those customer service numbers. So you know which phone number I'm, I'm talking about, right? That 1-800. And if you've ever been on a 1-800 phone call, you know that it's infuriating. You're often passed from department to department. You often find someone that can't help you. You sit on hold for hours on end sometimes. Have some tricks, by the way, if you want to get a hold of someone quickly. I'll go ahead and tell you. So, uh, I know you're wondering, right? So, uh, you know, you ever try to make changes with like a flight or a bill, and you call, I want to talk to someone about my current bill, you will be on hold for hours on end. But if you say you want to make a purchase you will get directed right to somebody. And it's the same people, just different weight lines. So if you're, like example, plane tickets. If you have to make a change for your plane ticket, 
Just say that you're trying to purchase a plane ticket. You get right through. That's free this morning, by the way. But reality is, on these 1-800 phone calls, um, situations don't really get resolved the way that you want. And on this particular phone call, one of my not-so-better moments of my life, I yelled at the person on the other side of the phone. And in my frustration, I told this man that he was worthless in my anger. And my wife, Rachel, came to the living room after I hung up the phone. And she boldly confronted me. I still remember her words. In moments of weakness and moments of short-temperedness, these words ring true and I'm reminded of them. And she said, I have a job because of people like you. I hit home. My wife is a therapist. Excellent one at that. And she rightly called out my sin. You see, kindness and gentleness reigns in all circumstances. And our, our speech and the way that we interact with one another is the primary ways that the love of Christ will be expressed to the world. And we've been on this incredible journey through the book of Colossians and just been so thankful for Pastor Isaiah and the way that you lead us to the gospel each week. I'm thankful to be able to share with you this morning to give Pastor Isaiah a week off. One of the things that we value here on our pastoral team is giving one another rest and we love that Pastor Isaiah and Liz had an opportunity to um, go to a pastor and pastor wives retreat for the Harbor Network this past week. We hope that it was refreshing. We're just thankful for you. Thankful for your faithfulness to the word each week. And as a community over the last four months in the book of Colossians, we've been confronted with some hard realities. Sin and heresy has been rebuked. A call to righteousness has been a steady message that we have received from Paul in the book of Colossians. Paul has addressed, addressed false teaching in the Colossian church that were contrary to the gospel and implored believers to live appropriately in light of the gospel, a life that honors Christ, living that exudes the gracious love of Christ our Savior. The way our, we carry ourselves and we interact with others especially non-Christians, will either point people toward Christ or away from Christ. And this morning, we're going to be digging into Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And we're going to be looking at how, a go how gospel living leads to a gospel witness. Gospel living leads to a gospel witness. And we're going to see this through two primary ways. First is pri private obedience. And the second is through winsome wisdom. Winsome wisdom. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. If not, it will be on the screen behind me. And let's jump into the Word together this morning. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the world to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Verse 5, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer to each person. Before we jump into 
what it looks like to have a private obedience and win some wisdom, I want to preface it this morning. I want to preface it knowing that there are two type of people that are probably sitting in the room this morning. First, there are Christians. You have repented of your sin and you consider yourself to be a son or daughter of this King Jesus that we talk about. And this morning, this message is for you. I'm going to call this, this is family talk this morning. This is family talk. This is just intentionally and deliberately confronting us. I remember growing up, my mom used to have these um, conversations with us, family conversations, and with my brother and I from season to season, right? Depending on what was going on. And we were a a family of three, but some people would have thought we were a family of ten because we always had people over at our home, always had a big front door. My mom fed the neighborhood. But in these family conversations, she would often say, hey, your friends can't spend the night tonight. We have to talk. And usually these conversations were for us about the possibility of moving um, to a new city, a new place. And similarly, we're having a family conversation this morning, but what's different is that our friends are listening in. They're hearing how we interact with one another. They're hearing how we commune with one another. And then there's a second group of people in this room, those that are searching. You do not claim to be a Christian, but you're here this morning, so I'm going to say that you're searching, or maybe a better word, you're curious. You're curious who this person Christ is and what Christianity is. And I want to encourage you this morning in two things if you're searching. First and foremost, Christ opens his arms wide open to you, and he says, welcome. This can be your home. You can be a part of this family. And Sojourn opens her arms wide open, and we want to invite you to be a part of our family. While you may not be a Christ follower, we just want to encourage you to note this morning how we communicate with one another, how we address our brokenness, how we recognize how deeply flawed we are. But more than anything, we hope that you hear that we are desperate for Jesus. And we gather together in this space because what Jesus has done for us on the cross and the new life that he has given us. And we hope by the way that we interact with one another in our family talk that you're compelled. You're compelled to know more about Christ and Christianity. As Paul opened up this passage in verses 2 through 4, we're going to address private obedience. Remember this. Paul is addressing cultural pressures that were influencing the Colossian church. Through chapter 3, Paul outlined the Christian life in light of the power of the resurrected Christ. Paul has addressed the new life characterized by love, joy, peace, and generosity. Diving a little bit deeper, and we saw in the last two weeks of the new life, Paul explores how the gospel impacts the home. And you see, private obedience to Christ impacts how we interact in the privacy of our home. But Paul takes it a step further to address the private or quiet obedience that Christians are called to as sons and daughters. This private and quiet obedience is a faithful and consistent call to devoted prayer. One commentator describes the separation of this passage, verses 2 through 4, then 5 and 6, as an indirect and direct involvement of, the faithful, of a faithful gospel witness. The indirect involvement through prayer reminds us that prayer is more than a casual conversation. 
Instead, prayer is a lifeline for the follower of Christ, the lifeline that connects us to the source of all power, that is faithful to equip us to share Christ with the world. Here again, these words of Paul in verses 2 through 4, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also that God may open a door to us for the world to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. In the same breath that Paul is calling the believers in, in the Colossian church to a faithful witness, he is reminding the Colossian church that fir- of their first and most important ministry. And this is a ministry of prayer in, relation, in the relationship with Him, with God. This is the relationship that sustains us and that is sustaining Paul while he, he is imprisoned. You see, this prayer, though, isn't a self-serving prayer. And this is very different than how we often approach God, how we often approach the throne of prayer. See, this isn't about us. This isn't about Paul. If there's anyone that had room to have a self-serving prayer, it was probably Paul. He was imprisoned at this moment. But you see, this prayer is a missional prayer. It wasn't about him. It, it was about the work of Christ. And you see, in, throughout the New Testament, New Testament, this call of extending the God being missional is one that is not a new theme. It's, it's been present. It's been part of it. You see it in Acts. You see it in the Gospels. And two particular verses came to mind for me. Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 10. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I, am in me- for I have many in this city who are my people, or Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the ages. You see, Paul is specifically teaching Colossians, the Colossian church in chapter 4, not just to pray, but how to pray. Private obedience in Christ is rooted in deep, meaningful commitment to prayer. And he gives three ways of how we should pray. First is, he says, pray consistently. Another word for this is devote. Devote yourself to prayer. Private obedience is hinged on our de- devout, of a devout prayer life. Prayer strengthens us, transforms us, prever- prepares us, to live out God's call on our lives faithfully. You see, we've been on this journey, especially in chapter 3, where, where gospel living has been, been very explicit. Very explicit. And Paul is transitioning us at this point to move beyond ourselves and move towards others. Move toward the unbelieving world, those that do not know Christ. And he talks about this private obedience leading to a gospel witness, but he wants you to hinge it on your prayer life, a devout prayer life. You see, we are in a battle. 
We are in a battle on this side of heaven. And there are forces, evil forces, that are constantly attacking us, constantly shifting our gaze to someone other than Christ. And you see, this idea of prayer is not a one-time source of power. It's not a one-time source of protection. But you see, our proper place is at the feet of Jesus, and prayer reminds us of that. It reminds us of our dependence on Christ and Christ alone. As I was preparing for this sermon, Pastor Mark asked me a really good question. What does it mean to be, have devoted prayer? As I contemplated that idea, like what is devoted? What is devout? I thought about there are often two extremes. One is legalistic. One is maybe a little lazy, lackadaisical. If you're asking the question this morning, are you living a devoted prayer life? Are you devout in your prayer life? If you're asking the question, I think it may be safe to say that maybe you need to spend more time in prayer, more time with Christ. But oftentimes, we approach things and we think, hey, let me pray for 15 minutes here in the morning to start my day. Maybe you pray over your food or maybe you close out your day with prayer. You know, one of the accountability systems I have in my life now is even on my worst of days, whenever I don't prioritize the most important things, my kids always remind me at the end of the day, let's read, our, let's read the Bible, let's spend time in prayer. But many days, um, prayer is an afterthought. And the reality is our American way of approaching prayer is insufficient to put our gaze upon Christ. And you see it in Scripture when, when, when we're told to pray without ceasing, what does that mean? And I think it's in any moment that we are in need, in any moment that we see needs of others, do we shift our gaze to prayer? Do we shift our gaze to God? Do we, do we pray for those people? I know oftentimes um, I can be so guilty of saying, hey, I'll pray for you, but I never do so. Prayer becomes an afterthought where it's just a momentary practice for me. Maybe I treat a lot of spiritual disciplines like this. And you see, I want you to think about what it means to be devoted. And if you're asking the question, and you're questioning whether or not you are devout in your prayer life, I'm just going to say spend more time with God. Spend more time in prayer. Give more to God. You will never regret it. You're not going to end your days and say, hey, I wish I wouldn't approach God with that need. I wish I wouldn't approach God about that situation. I just love the reality that the king of the universe that holds all of it in his hands cares deeply about you and about your specific situations. So how do we pray? Paul says, be devout. Then he says, stay alert, or another word is, be watchful. You know, this, this could be be watchful, stay alert to different needs of others. The words that came to mind, the stay alert, re really reminded me, echoed some other passages. See, I believe that Paul is telling believers to be aware of the temptations of the evil one, to be alert. And this echoes 1 Peter 5 through 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Don't be surprised when you are committed to the most important things in your life. 
like prayer, then the missional call the gospel that the enemy attacks doesn't attack those on the sidelines that aren't engaged. But don't be dismayed, even in these attacks, because we have the power of the resurrected Christ. We can approach this life in the evil one because Christ has conquered sin, death, and hell, and he is risen at the right hand of God. And in his victory, we rest and we find power. Next, he says, be thankful. No matter your circumstances, the posture of the Christian is one of gratitude. Paul is reminding believers that even in his imprisonment, he is thankful for the salvific work of Christ and the opportunities that God has given him. And he doesn't just tell us how to pray. Paul continues by instructing the Colossian church on what to pray. And he tells us three things to pray for. He says, pray for us. Paul covets the prayers of other believers of the Colossian church. He instructs them to pray for him and fellow believers that are being persecuted. Then he shifts, and this is this, this missional prayer, this missional call. He says, pray for open doors. Paul is praying for a supernatural opportunity to share Christ. This is echoed in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 9-10. through 10. For a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. And there are many adversaries. And when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. He has been praying faithfully for these opportunities, these supernatural opportunities. To speak the mysteries of Christ, and if you have been rolling with us through the book of Colossians, you have seen, you have heard this mystery explained numerous numerous times. One commentator says, The mystery of Christ is the revelation of what God has done in and through His Son to make possible the atonement for sin and its forgiveness. That the Word should become flesh is a mystery how how now made known for our salvation. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself is a mystery now revealed for our justification that faith alone in a crucified Messiah is the power of God unto salvation, is a mystery now made known for our eternal welfare. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 echoes this as well. And you've heard Pastor Isaiah preach through this. Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms on on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. Christ is also at the head of his church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all, who rise from the dead, so he is the first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Brothers and sisters, this is the mystery of Christ. And you see, sojourn, private obedience to Christ will often go unseen unknown by others but your commitment to prayer will prepare you for battle 
It will prepare you to live out God's call in your life. One for all believers to extend the gospel to the nations. The posture of a Christian is one of mission and purpose. The gospel will make its way to the ends of the earth through your faithfulness. Gospel living leads to a gospel witness, which is built on nothing less than private obedience. A private obedience of faithful prayer. Next, Paul outlines winsome wisdom. Winsome wisdom. This passage is separated in two parts. First, they call it a private obedience in Christ that's founded in this deep commitment to prayer. But secondly, Paul presents a change to the Colossian church, a charge to the Colossian church. He says to be wise in their conduct to unbelievers, both in word and deed. While this passage is, yes, in two different parts, both parts are deeply missional. The Christian life is filled with deep intimacy and joy in Christ. But the joy and intimacy is intended to be spread to the world. One commentator says, As a minority in a hostile environment, Christians were concerned about the impressions they made on their neighbors. They were not resentful that they were marginalized in their society. This was the context of the Colossian church. Our cultural moment has often flipped this script for us, especially as believers. We, are, we care more about being marginalized than, than being concerned with our neighbor and extending the love of God to our neighbor. Paul says in chapter 4, verses 5 and, set, 5 and 6, Act wisely toward outsiders. Making the most of the time, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Act wisely. The Christian's behavior is important to a faithful gospel witness, but sets the stage by, by tying acting wisely to the Christian's speech to the world. The hidden mystery of Christ is seen in the Christian who has faithfully pursued this private obedience. As I open this sermon with a personal and vulnerable story about my own sin and brokenness, see the beauty of my sin, it is this, that Christ is still exalted. Because I have been restored by Christ and Christ alone and our repentance and coming back to the gospel and turning to gospel speech, God is honored. Galatians 5, 22 through 23, you heard me share a little bit of this as I opened. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no except. Gentleness and kindness reigns in all circumstances. And you see, the new life in Christ champions this kindness and gentleness. And Paul explores this kindness and gentleness through our speech. If you want to know how you can love your neighbor, oftentimes we overcomplicate it. We overcomplicate what it means to engage with the unbelieving world. But I, I tell you this, our speech will often be what is judged first. And Paul gives us three, way, three characteristics for our speech. First, he says, have gracious speech. Proverbs 15, 1 through 2, a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools blurts out foolishness. Often say this, 
people will think you're the smartest person in the room until you speak. Being slow to speak and speaking with kindness and gentleness softens the heart, uh, hearts of others. This is in contrast to where we were earlier in Colossians chapter 3, 8, and 9, when, when Paul says, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices. So have gracious speech, brother, brothers and sisters. Next he says, have salty speech. One commentator says, suggests that Paul is telling the Colossian church that speech should be witty, amusing, clever, or humorous. Maybe we're making light of that. Maybe we're taking that a little bit too casual. But how about this? Is your speech preserving, life-giving, kindly articulating the truth of the gospel? Paul modeled this for us in Acts chapter 17. I would encourage you maybe this week to go read how he interacted in the synagogue. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Paul was salty in his approach to others. People were compelled to want to know what he was talking about. They were compelled to know more about Christ for the way he interacted with them. Is your speech compelling? Are people curious about the faith that you claim? Then he says, have thoughtful speech. When Christians are in a hostile environment, thoughtful answers for their faith softens the heart of the hearer. Philippians 1, 9 through 10 says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to hear this word, so that you may be able to discern, discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Thoughtful speech is discerning speech. The cultural moment of the Christians in the Colossian church was filled with hostility for their beliefs. Paul kindly encourages and challenges the church to pray, to engage their neighbors wisely. Hear this, the gospel will speak for itself because the word is true and trustworthy. May our speech reflect that goodness. May it reflect the goodness and the salvific work of Christ in your life. Gospel living leads to a gospel witness May we all be known for our private obedience and winsome wisdom. Brothers and sisters, as we begin to conclude, I started this with a preface this morning for the two types of people that are off, probably sitting in this room. I want to end with addressing these two groups one last time. Christians, don't look past this family talk. If you're wondering if this message is for you, I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God convicts you. Because it is for you. Because we all miss the mark. You have been called to a relationship with God. So commune with Him. It is sweeter than honey. It is restful. It is good. And in your prayer life, and, and in the way that you conduct yourself to the world, may it reflect what God has done in and through you. And if you're wondering who the world is, who your neighbor is, you're not the first. The world is your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. 
Nobody is exempt from this. Do they know that you are different because of the mystery of Christ that is within you? And those that are searching this morning, we thank you for searching. We thank you for being curious. But if you hear anything this morning, you hear anything about this church and all of Christianity, it is this, that we are deeply flawed and we are broken. And we really miss the mark sometimes. And we are a poor representation of the, this Christ that we proclaim. So first, we confess to you we are sorry. We apologize for not representing this king well. Secondly, we want to welcome you into this broken family. We want to ask you to join us as we seek Christ together. We, we are Christians because we have recognized something. We have recognized and admitted that we are broken and we are deeply flawed. So yes, we have missed it, but we want to honor Christ and we want you to see Christ in and through us. Gospel living leads to a gospel witness. Will you pray with me?